Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the four authority engagement models. Ooh, it took us a long time to come up with that title, didn't it? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're excited to talk about this, but what is it? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is your baby, Rochelle. So I guess the basis is a book by David Maester. Well, a series of books, actually. I, I, I think where this came from is we were talking about this on the last show. And I mentioned this idea of, I think I mentioned Pill Factory yet again. Mm -hmm. And I've mentioned it a bunch of times because it comes from this model that David Maester wrote about, I want to say in the 90s, because I, I feel like that's when I read about it. And it just sunk into my brain. You know, how you see a visual and somebody explains something that you've never thought that way and you can't forget it. So yeah. it was, was one of those things. But when I was preparing for, for, for this today, I thought, well, I want to find a link so people can look this up and read it for themselves. And I couldn't find it. I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness. So I finally found um, Maester. He's retired now. But when Maester was doing this, he hated to write books. He wrote a bunch of them. But so the way he approached them is he would write these articles and then kind of gin them together into a book. Mm -hmm. And so I found an article that he wrote that covers what we're going to talk about today. And so we'll put that link in the show notes so that... But if somebody wants to like really dive into this and learn more, you can look at that piece. And then if you love that, you can go buy one cool. or all of his books. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. So isn't it funny how you like, you have this like really strong memory and then you go and you're like, wait, I'm remembering it wrong or I can't find the thing. <laughs> no, uh, I know. Was it all a dream? Oh yeah. Well, my my first big mistake was um, was I and I swear this is in one of his books. Okay, I just couldn't find it, but I've been calling it the first model the pill factory, mm -hmm. and actually, what he calls it in the article, which I like better than the pill factory, is the pharmacist. Mm -hmm. And well, so, do you want to dive in? Or? Yeah, let's let's start there. Should we? Do you want to? Um... Well, we could just start with the first one, I guess, the pharmacist. Well, yeah, because he does it in... It, it, I also misremembered the order, um, but the order he does it in uh, in this article, I think, makes a lot of sense. And so the pharmacist, this is the idea where the client is buying something that's relatively familiar. So they don't require a lot of counseling or consultation. That's that's where I got the pill factory idea, you mm -hmm. know, that you're making these pills and you're pushing them out the door. So you have to have very high quality standards, but your client isn't really buying innovation or creativity. They're buying that they're going to get the same thing popping out every single time. Mm -hmm. So I think of that as being... Like maybe a compliance service, as an okay. example, mm -hmm. where you want to make sure that uh, you're in compliance with some regulation and you want to ensure that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we could say that it's it's a lot of types of execution, you right. know, consulting, um, uh, you know, anything, um, development, uh, programming, um, PR, marketing, all those things potentially where high quality control, but a, a, a repetitive process. A lot of predictability. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about, like, I, I was thinking about CVS when I saw that he called this the pharmacist, so the pill factory. Like you go in and you see the people in the white coats and you know that they're not actually making the drugs, but you know that they know a lot about them and can answer your questions. And they're going to make sure that there's 30 pills in the bottle. Right. Or that it's 30 of the right pills in the bottle and that they've attached the correct instructions with them. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I like that idea. You know, I mm -hmm. sort of pictured like if you're, if you want to be like the CVS pharmacist, mm 
that's kind of that would be kind of a model that you might follow. Yeah, there, there's a slight distinction there that I didn't recognize at first because pill factory, to me, that that angle is like. I think of like a pharmaceutical company who actually is doing a lot of innovation in R&D and, and that sort of thing. The pharmacist is doing none of that. The pharmacist is almost like a curation type of thing where, where the, the, the R&D has been done and they're making sure that you get the right things that somebody else made. And so I, could, I kind of, I keep thinking, not all CPAs, depending on what they do, but what I would typically consider oh, a yeah. CPA, they didn't invent uh, double entry accounting, but you know, they are, can execute it and it's reliable and you don't really care how the sausage is made. It's like, just, just make sure it's right. You know, um, obviously there, there's exceptions to that, but you know, forensic accountants and stuff, but, but I think a sort of garden variety CPA would kind of fall into this category. Well, I, you know, I sold my firm to a, you know, a big accounting firm and that's what they, that's how I looked at them, you know, cause mm-hmm. they bring somebody in right out of college and you're, you come in as a, as a consultant, they actually, their entry level is consultant and then you become a manager and a senior manager and I forget what comes after that. Um, but, but, you know, you have this hierarchy and it's kind of an up or out, but what the client is buying is really predictable. Mm-hmm. It's really predictable. And I want to separate the pill factory from the people who invent the drug. So the idea of the factory is that it's you're replicating. So the factory isn't doing any of the R&D. The factory is doing the execution. They're they're taking the formula and replicating it. Yep. Sort of like, like a sous chef who didn't design the menu, but they're going to make sure that they follow the menu pretty much to the letter. It's about... To me, it's about execution. Yep. Okay. Cool. So, so then you know you move on to the next one, which is the nurse, and Maester calls that you know where it's relatively familiar. In other words, whatever the the nurse is doing doesn't require any high level of innovation, but the client has to guide, or I'm sorry, the client wants you to guide and counsel them through a standard-ish process. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the process doesn't have to be as rigid as it would with the pharmacist, right? It can have more um, nuance, but the client wants to understand what's happening and they want to be involved in the decision-making, Yeah. right? So like yeah. the pharmacist is, you know, you're filling the prescription and you're handing it to him. The nurse is saying, well, how are you feeling, Mr. Stark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's more like, and if you think about it, if, you know, dear listener, if you've ever had a interaction with the nurse and you compare that to an interaction that you've had with a pharmacist, the, the level of, I think, attention uh, on your part and their part, but, but both, like the level of attention that both people are... Um, bringing to bear on the conversation is noticeably higher where, you know, you could kind of go into a pharmacist and like, they might not even look at you the whole time. Right. And they don't have to talk to you. They just hand you the bag. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas a nurse, you know, unless maybe it's an ICU nurse and the patient is, you know, completely, you know, hooked up to machines or in a coma, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. the nurse has some interaction Right. With the person, you know, pretty much always. Have to, right. Yeah. And sort of interesting side note is the nurse usually has a lot of interaction with the family too, especially the sicker somebody is, probably the more interaction they might have with the loved ones. Mm. 
Yeah, so that's it's, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I really like that he used the healthcare analogy because it's the thing that most of us can relate to, mm-hmm. um, versus you know, accounting, consulting, you know, law firms. So what does this look like in like what's the like it's the nurse is the metaphor for what like can you think of kinds of firms that typically have this nurse kind of engagement model yeah i think um there's a lot of hr firms that have that kind of a model and not because hr is like nursing and high touch but um hr has things like um training programs Mm mm-hmm Right, where you have kind of a standard modular thing, and maybe for client X, you take out module B, mm-hmm. and for another one, you add a module D. Mm-hmm. You know, I can kind of see that, whereas the client wants some input into the training, or, you know, now it's called development most of the time. But mm-hmm. um, I could see that would be an example of a kind of firm where you would see that. You might see it in an engineering firm. Um, if there's, um, you know, I'm, I'm always dangerous cause I went to school with engineers, but I definitely <laughs> don't have an engineer brain. <laughs> um, but where maybe you have a, um, like a, a certain type of engineering specialty where there is a process you follow, like maybe a construction engineer or a structural engineer, you know, the mm-hmm. rules say you have to have this. Um, and then there's some room to maneuver in how you make your, your suggestions or your recommendations based on, you know, what city you're in and what their code is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, ex- I could imagine um, other things as you're saying, though, that um, recruiters, certain types of recruiters come to mind where you want, mm. where the client is, you know, wants to have a lot of input about, like, you can't just say, re- recruiter, go get me someone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there has to yeah. <laughs> There has to be a conversation first about the culture and the, well, ideally there would be a conversation about like the specific requirements in the culture and what sorts of, you know, maybe ta- if it's a development recruiter, then, you know, what sort of tasks they're looking for. Or I, I, I yeah. know one guy that's, uh, he's kind of like um, a headhunter, you know, so he, he, he's almost like a talent agent. He's not a headhunter on the business side he's on the he's on the the higher e side where he's got Mm -hmm. like an executive from whatever pfizer that wants to make a change and he kind of shops them around like a sports agent might do Mm -hmm. um another thing that comes to mind is like uh interior designers or home designers or architects for people who who architect houses that kind of a thing where or, or landscape architect Mm-hmm. Where the the homeowner is going to be, unless this falls into one of the upcoming categories, they're going to be pretty. They're going to want to have. Um, there's a lot of like bedside manner that happens there, where they there needs to be yes. a level of trust built up with the client. Like the client needs to understand that the professional understands what they're going for, mm-hmm. and there's a a huge language disconnect. What that's another thing that I, I noticed with the nurse patient model is that. The nurse is going to be highly trained and understand a whole bunch of lingo, but they hopefully they won't deploy that on the patient (laughs) and the patient can speak their normal sort of non-medical term, you know, in the nurse terms and the nurse can translate that into something meaningful to a medical professional. And I I feel like it's a similar, similar with like a landscape architect or an interior designer or um, something like that. 
Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think when we talk about the other two, there will be certain people in those professions that might fall into the other two. Mm-hmm. But I think you know the the vast majority probably would fall into this nurse model. Um, and a lot of coaches fall into this nurse model too. I yes, think. Yes, I was thinking that too. I wasn't sure if that was doctor. I'm curious what. Uh, yeah, I, well, there's there's a, there's a couple more, and I, again, I, I think it depends. I, I don't think there's you know any one profession uh, always falls into any one of these buckets. I think it's it's how the person, the professional, decides to position themselves and and work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's why I like that word engagement model. You know, Mm -hmm. it's how it's how we're engaging with our clients and and our audience. Mm -hmm. That is the that's the the kicker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like like I said with CPAs, like just sort of stereotyping the industry, like the and the way that I'm familiar with the way that they operate. You know, CPAs or uh, a nurse or a landscape architect. You know, obviously there's going to be tons of that. You could you could probably pick. You could probably be a landscape architect and pick a completely different model of engagement mm-hmm. and still just because it's a better fit for you and your expertise in landscape architecture, you could be like, oh, I'm just going to I'm going to do it like a brain surgeon and sell it to a different kind of client. Yeah, there's there's a, a guy like that in L.A. who started a firm and he was uh, I think he might also be an attorney, but a CPA who had worked for the IRS and he only hired people in his firm who had worked for the IRS so you know, his specialty was getting inside the minds of the IRS for really, really sticky problems. And so he would fall into one of the two categories we haven't talked about yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I love about this. There's all sorts of ways to go. So when I think of this model in my head from the many years ago that I read this, I always think of it as starting with the pharmacist, which I thought of as the pill factory, going to the nurse, and then... Um, this therapy model that we'll talk about last and then the brain surgeon. But in fact, Maester actually puts the brain surgeon third. And I think it's the right positioning because here's how he looks at a brain surgeon, which is kind of what we talked about last week and a number of times before. It's that you've got, you need to have very high levels of creativity and customization and innovation Mm -hmm. with a very low level of client interaction. Right. That's Mm -hmm. really the key. So high on on the knowledge um, side and very low in client interaction. And what the client wants is they want a practitioner who is at absolutely the leading edge, the bleeding edge of their discipline. And they typically have a bet the business problem. And, you know, obviously with a brain surgeon, you could imagine that. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. of an example someone told me about meeting with a pediatric brain surgeon, which is like the ultimate specialty. Mm. And, you know, if, if you're in the unfortunate situation of needing to have a pediatric brain surgeon, you probably don't care so much about whether they talk to you in the way that you want. You probably really care that they've done the kind of surgery that your child needs. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly certainly their bedside manner is not top priority. No, it's like, who cares? I just want, you know, I want my kid cured. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us tend to think that we're brain surgeons, but maybe we're not really, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like to be the brain surgeon, you really have to be like really, really top at a fairly narrow thing. Yeah. For me, yeah, this is for me, for people who are used to listening to me talk about specialization, this is a classic horizontal specialization where you kind of just care about your craft. 
basically like you're consumed with your craft and the the positioning approach so it's like how do you get clients the positioning approach is to be recognized as the best in the world at this thing that somebody cares about mm-hmm. but doesn't want to do themselves so like so that's the tricky part right so like you if you're an unknown brain surgeon with a horrible bedside manner no one's going to you're not going to have any work yeah because it's people have to you know like how do you find a surgeon you ask around word of mouth the same name keeps popping up over and over you're just like oh that's the person i need to talk to so it's the same with uh, you know if you're a special if you're a, a horizontal specialization is like i don't know uh, uh react native or something that's not even a great one I, i'd actually go more more uh like service workers to use a web a, a web design thing or web uh, technology like yeah we're we're an expert at i'm an expert i'm the worldwide expert on uh offline first pwas using service workers like what yeah i don't even know what that is <laughs> right i didn't even say quite right but that but that's the but that's the kind of thing i had to, i just was looking for someone like this i needed to hire them for a short engagement and uh and i i asked around i went i i went to amazon and i was like all right who's written a book on this i found a couple of people i contacted the author uh one of them agreed to do it but that was totally the brain surgeon model like do i care he he was nice but did i care no i just needed him to look at this code and figure out why it wasn't working mm-hmm. so and he did you know yeah so yeah well and you know if if, if you want a visual for this uh, anybody who's watched the tv show house you know, where Dr. House was the, the diagnostician, no bedside manner at all, kind of a, just a horrible human being on so many levels, but brilliant at what he did. Mm-hmm. And people would hear about him and, and come to be diagnosed by him. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't interested in the treatment. It was all about the diagnosis. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. And, you know, I think we talked, I think it was last week, you know, I used to work with somebody at Anderson who was a specialist on executive compensation and partnerships. <laughs> and, you know, talk about an arcane specialty, but I mean, he was just brilliant at it and people knew him. You know, he he wasn't out, um, you know, trying to find work. All he would do is close. I mean, he was in a big firm, so he had all of us selling for him essentially. Mm. Um, but he had to close. He had to go in and talk to the client and diagnose the situation and talk about what was going to happen and then do it. Boom. Yeah. Brain surgeon. Yeah. So while, while we're talking about, because this one's so different from the other two, um, another thing I want to point out from a marketing standpoint is like a brain surgeon's not going to send direct mail postcards out and blanket a neighborhood or like put no. flyers under your windshield wiper. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. A, pharma- a pharmacist might, you know, might. somebody that works at a CVS might send out postcards or email or uh, do some kind of outreach. But like the brain surgeon model, it I I almost think part of it, certainly of the three we've talked about so far, it's most it's the most it's the one so far that is most important to be generating inbound leads. So you need to be mm-hmm. kind of like on a pedestal and people are like lucky if they can even work with you sort of thing. Like they feel like, right. Oh, we, we hope we can get on this person's calendar. Mm-hmm. So you knocking on doors and saying, Hey, anybody need brain surgery? Like that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like day old sushi. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, right. So that from a marketing standpoint and, and perhaps the, the benefit of listening to this episode at all 
is that you can find your maybe you you'll automatically see yourself as like oh i'm totally i i want to be the nurse or i am currently the nurse model and therefore there are steps things that i should be doing that i'm not or i'm doing i'm acting like a brain surgeon in my marketing but really the engagement style is nurse engagement style so there's like a misalignment between your two those two things yeah and and you know Maester talks about this in his piece but you know it it becomes as you go through these it becomes patently obvious that depending on where you fall you want to design everything else around that so yeah. you know your marketing your branding how you make money within mm-hmm. your business model if you hire people it's like how you hire who you hire how you pay them how you reward them what you mm-hmm. value um, in your firm. So, you know, and Maester yeah. really is, is more interested in, you know, big firms with lots of employees, but the same principles apply. Yep. Yeah. It's a very high level strategic kind of, um, I'm tr- kind of, I feel like I almost want to call it a realization. I'm not sure how, um, portable they are. If you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, um, like, oh, I'm just going to, I've been acting like pharmacist, but I'm going to switch to brain surgeon or one of the other. <laughs> I feel like it's like it, it would be almost, almost like ill-suited perhaps. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I'm, this is all new to me. You know, this, this is the extent that I've thought about it is this conversation, but it feels like, uh, for solo, for solo for businesses solo. Partic- yeah. in particular, it's kind of like a lot of this, I feel like stem is going to stem from the personality and and would be a little bit perhaps disingenuous to just switch to a different one because you thought there'd be more opportunity there or something. I don't know though. Yeah, I think. Well, we'll see. I mean, and this is you know my approach with this has always been: if I'm going to do my own business, I'm going to do something that I really love, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be a pharmacist. That doesn't mean being a pharmacist is bad. Not at all. It's a great way to make a living. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just not something I want to do. Right. Right. So I think people will tend to fall into into one. But I think the other thing is that especially when you've done a thing inside, say, a corporation, an organization, and you leave and you hang out your shingle, and now you're doing that thing for others, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't realize that you can do something different because at first you're so worried about being able to get work, you know, Mm because you want to make sure that it wasn't a a terrible decision to leave your, your employment and to put out your shingle. So there's that piece. And then after you've been doing it for two or three years and you start to go, Oh, all right, well, where am I going to take my business next? That's when you start really making some of these strategic decisions and you could be a pharmacist. You could hire other people to help you. Maybe you've developed this process that is amazing. And so you hire other people to deliver that process to more people. Mm. That could be a way that you grow, not trying to change from a pharmacist to a nurse. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the last one. Mm-hmm. And the way I remembered it in in the model is the last one was actually third, because I think about going from being a pharmacist to a nurse to this one is to being a psychotherapist, although I feel like he called it a therapist model when I first read it, not psychotherapist, but therapist, where, mm-hmm. you know, you think of having like three or four people who share office space. But um, in, in this case, the client has a bet the business problem. So just like the brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. And they want a leading practitioner, but, and mm-hmm. here's the but, they want to be intimately involved in the problem-solving process. Yep. 
So, you know, if you think about the interaction with clients and in, in with how you work is very different between a psychotherapist and a brain surgeon, but really what they what he talks about is that the emphasis is on the creative diagnosis as much as the successful execution. Mm. So yeah. it's that, you know, yin and yang. You've got to have both. Whereas the brain surgeon, you know, execute, do it for me. Right. Yeah, right. L- literally unconscious. Like, I'm yeah. not participating. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And there are, there are levels of degree to that, obviously. I mean, I sort of see it as a spectrum between the, the therapist and the brain surgeon. But yeah, I mean, I could see how there are situations where, yeah, knock me out and just do it to me and let me wake up and be healed mm-hmm. versus, uh, sorry, in order to make this merger work, we've got to have both sides talking and mm-hmm. we need a process so people yeah. are going to interact. So yeah, it's, it's a different model, but it's still a bet the business problem and they still want somebody who's a leading edge practitioner mm-hmm. at this. Yep. Yeah, I think think this is where coach falls from it yeah coach falls here or nurse to me so yeah I, I could depending on the kind of coaching you're doing it's it's going to be that highly interactive highly collaborative a uh, lot the more empathy the better mm-hmm. and and there's a so the different i feel like the difference between the therapist and the nurse is that the the, the nurse is you're probably talking to a nurse because something is out of whack and you want to get it back into whack. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you've got a status quo that you're used to and some, and it has your situation has diverged from the status quo and you want to get back to the status quo. So like, uh, it's, it's not like you, it's not like a, where with a, with a coach or a psychotherapist, I guess, there's potentially could be a situation like that, but it could be that you're looking for a breakthrough. You're looking for um, a new status quo. So it's not that you are looking to fix something that broke, like unclogging a toilet. Like you just want the toilet to work. You're not trying to get like a, like a, you know, <laughs> a some kind of magic toilet. <laughs> yeah. Or bathroom renovation. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, that's a great metaphor. So it's almost like there's a, you know, I'm thinking of like Joe Pine and the transformation economy. Well, he, the book's called Experience Economy, but the highest level is transformation. Mm-hmm. I feel like like both the brain surgeon and the nurse typically are like trying to get things back to the status quo. Like they're not, unless the brain surgeon is implanting some kind of like bionic device in your head that's going to allow <laughs> you to like have x-ray vision. Um, it's, they're getting you back to a status quo, back to normal, so to speak, or normal for you. And the, the psychotherapist it may be the pharmacist too. I suppose it depends on what they're doing for you, but the uh, that is is sort of a breakthrough potential transformation kind of engagement, where it's bet the business, but it's it's like you're you're swinging for a new fence. You want to play a bigger game. You're breaking into a new market. You see a big opportunity, and the window is going to close if you don't jump on it. So it's it can be just as urgent as a brain surgeon situation but it's there's a well it feels more uh, about growth than about repair yeah well i mean i think we can go back and and use the analogy of healthcare right so the nurse is maybe saying okay if you just rest for a few days 
and take these pills that were prescribed for you that are standard treatment for what you're doing and maybe you get a little i don't know a little physical therapy you know then you can go home right mm-hmm. you, you you're back in in whack <laughs> <laughs> and on the therapist side it's maybe saying okay so i understand you know that your your back is out but what you have to do is you have to learn how to walk differently yeah and so, yeah, you can take all these medications and those will help, but it's not going to fundamentally change the situation until you change how you walk, you change your gait mm-hmm. and let me help you. This is what this is. You have to relearn things. So, uh, yeah, it, from a coaching standpoint, I could see that that would be a difference between the nurse and the psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, and it might also be a level of doesn't have to be, but it might be a level of specialization so the, the psychotherapist might be um, hyper-focused on... Um, like family dynamics or... Yeah, just I mean, like something very specific, whereas the nurse is more, oh, okay, I understand, you know, you're here, you're hurt, you know, versus someone who's in a, like the coronary care unit would be an example of specialization for a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, the psychotherapist wouldn't necessarily be coronary care, but it might be, um, you know, what happens when these four conditions... Um, coexist and then we have to do this really specialized thing and I, I'm out of my depth with medical and I've, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I gotta stop there <laughs> <laughs> well as we're talking about this I'm sort of slowly assembling a two by two grid on my legal pad here mm-hmm. and and I've got the the nurse and pharmacist and therapist and surgeon in like each quadrant yep and I'm like what are the what are the axes and so far I've got like like there's one one axis which is kind of like empathy or interaction level or something like that where the nurse and the therapist are very high on that scale and the pharmacist and surgeon are very low and then the horizontal axis is like specialization or expertise sort of like generalist on one end and specialist on the other end where the nurse and the pharmacist are the lower end of the spectrum and the therapist and the surgeon are on the higher end of the spectrum and it i feel like feel like it fits pretty neatly into that model. And if yeah, you... I think he has that. I feel oh. like I saw that in a book. No, it's not in the article that, that we're going to lead people to. I think it's in one of his books mm. or more of his, one or more of his books. Right. I just so, couldn't put my hands on it. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. And it, and it aligns with the conversation, especially about the surgeon, because the, like for me, that's a, a high, high uh, degree of specialization in a horizontal, like a skill. So, so the advice for, for, you know, when I'm talking to someone like, you know, like I said, my offline service worker guy is like highly specialized and that it's going to imply all sorts of other business activities, like the way you should, you know, what business model should you use to, to fund that business? Like, how are you going to, mm-hmm. how does money flow through the business? How do you find customers? How do you, what kind of deals do you what kind of offers do you make what are your offerings how do you close the deals how do you deliver the service all of those things are how do you market change yeah yeah how how do you attract the leads um so yeah the so ah, it's it's like really interesting so maybe i'll do a little i'll take a little picture of my notepad and we'll stick it with the show notes (laughs) um but yeah because you can imagine acting like i know we said this already but you can imagine that you are copying someone who's in the surgeon quadrant when really you are a therapist or you're a nurse or you're a pharmacist and you're copying the wrong stuff. 
Yeah, and I'm thinking it should feel like it's not right. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It probably like feels if, it feels like it's not working. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. and there's that there's that thing where you want your voice, which is part of your brand and part of your marketing, you want your voice to match that engagement model because mm-hmm. you don't want to sell somebody that you're a pharmacist and then oops, you're a brain surgeon. You know, <laughs> and you start interacting yeah. like a brain surgeon. Right. Surgeon. Yeah, it's all about being in alignment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Jeez. This is, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking this is one of those things where if someone who's listening like really identifies with one of these, you could almost, and if you can't do it for your own site, you could do it with somebody else who, like somebody famous in your niche, and you could do it for them and you could start to see this if you're having trouble with your own marketing language. So let me just give you an example. So let's say you decide that you're the nurse. And what would be really interesting is to go and look at your website copy, just as an example, and go, am I talking like a nurse here? Mm-hmm. Like circle anything that doesn't sound nurse-like. Where, where you're the voice of God, that's kind of the brain surgeon, and that doesn't mesh with the nurse. And it, 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 if you think about this archetypally, it makes it easier to actually look at your site and go, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. I, I, I should try saying this a different way that's more me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think especially if you're like looking at 20 different websites and you've wound up you know, copying some styles, if not the words, you can wind up with something that really isn't giving the website visitor a, an authentic feel for the experience of working with you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's your little compass. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of like, yeah. I, and I do like the idea of of looking around at maybe at your competitors or other people in your brand neighborhood and, and just like seeing where they slot in, you know? Yeah. And, and if a lot of them slot into the same quadrant, and it's like, um, maybe look for an outlier that doesn't, or maybe you're the outlier that doesn't. Maybe, yeah. look, maybe everybody in your space is presenting themselves as, as one of these quadrants. And you're like, you know what? That never felt right to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differentiate myself by having a different engagement model mm-hmm. and then reflecting that in my marketing and delivery and everything, like the whole business. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious if, because for myself, I like naturally gravitate to one of these. And I'm, I'm curious if other people, as they listen to this, kind of gravitate to one of these or multiples. It'd be interesting. Love to mm. get some feedback on that. Well, yeah, now, now that you say that, if I apply this to myself, when I was when I was doing mobile consulting, I was definitely in the surgeon quadrant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wrote books, spoke at conferences, never, ever had to do outreach, you know, leads just magically appeared, you know, say the sage on stage model, the say, the author on stage model, it completely worked. And uh, I didn't need to, you know, I didn't try to be a prima donna, but I knew I could be, you know, so it was like, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't, you know, and I got sick of that. And I definitely moved into the therapist mode mm-hmm. when I started doing coaching. And I didn't, I didn't think of it. Th- this is actually a much clearer way to think about that than I had as I was doing it. And it was weird because for, for, you know, probably 18 months, give or take, I was doing, I had a foot in both worlds and it wasn't just two different businesses. It was two different engagement models. Mm. It's kind of fascinating in retrospect. I wonder if, I wonder if it would have made it and it was hard. And so I wonder if it would have been, um, potentially helpful to be conscious of that dissonance yeah. yeah yeah because it's hard to talk out of both sides of your mouth and mm-hmm. and still attract you know two distinct 
kinds of clients or clients who want a distinct model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had all the problems you might think. Like, uh, I, I can't. How do I have one website for this? Like, it's just my mm-hmm. name. Like, I should be able to do them both on there. But there's this huge different kind of language, different kind of everything. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to have two different websites because I can't. These can't coexist. It creates this cognitive dissonance. You're just like, wait a minute, what? Is this the right person that I heard of? <laughs> you know, like, why are they showing up on this podcast when I thought that they were a different, totally different kind of person? This must be the wrong guy or something. It was very, it was very disjointed. Yeah. Well, and see, I've always been in the psychotherapist model. That's just my natural place. I like mm-hmm. the bet, the business stuff, but I, I like the interaction. Mm-hmm. I love the collaboration. But what happens for me is I'll get people who want the nurse sometimes. <laughs> uh-huh. And no, there's again, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's yeah. not the kind of coach I am. And those are the people who will go, well, you charge an awful lot for this. I'm right. Like, well, yeah, because, you know, I'm not just asking you how your day was. Um, and yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not working necessarily with a standard process every single time. It's not today, you know, day one, you get this day two, you get that it isn't. And so nothing wrong with that. There's lots of people that need that, but it's not what I'm selling. So as I got that feedback, I changed my marketing, my branding, the way I message to make sure that I'm attracting action-oriented people who want to work collaboratively. So somebody who just says, I want you to give me the answer. Now I have one little, you know, piece of something, but even that, they have to give me loads of input, right, Right. to do that. So somebody that doesn't want to do that would be a horrible client for me. I wouldn't be able to deliver what they wanted. So yeah, getting clear on all of this is really helpful. And that's why I always love it when somebody comes up with a model where you have something that's kind of archetypal that like everybody knows what a pharmacist is. Yeah. You know, everybody knows what a therapist is and a nurse. And so it's, you know, it's a little easier to kind of think of yourself in that model. And there's no judgment. That's the only thing I always worry about when we put words like this, if people judge them in some way. Right. It's not to judge them at all. It's to like think about how if that's how you're delivering services how do you want to structure the rest of your business to support that yeah and just and and what kind of lifestyle do you want like imagine the difference in lifestyle between a pharmacist and a therapist yeah you know that pharmacist there's a lot of attractive (laughs) there's some attractive things going on in that quadrant Mm -hmm. you know low interaction uh low specialization or I'm not sure if specialization is the right well, word. Well, no, it's not the specialization. It's is you have to have high quality standards, but it's it, your replic. It's something that's replicable. Mm-hmm. So the theory is that the danger to me in the pharmacy model is that somebody else can, you know, take your model and do it better, True. do it cheaper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the danger that I see in in the pharmacist model. Mm-hmm. That's why you know the big accounting firms have. You know, when you go through different kinds of changes in the economy or the world, they have to like struggle to catch up. Oh, yeah. Mm. How do we do this? Gee, mm-hmm. we need to wipe out a third of our workforce. <laughs> yeah. Gee. Yeah. Gee. Well, cool. Well, hopefully this has been helpful for folks to kind of get you some clarity on where you fit into this, into the engagement model grid. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love this for some reason. It just makes it more real. You know, yeah. when you think about different places, different places on this spectrum to to really grow your business and make a name for yourself. I mean, these are also, uh, you know, authority models. 
This is yeah. these are different ways to get the word out about who you are, what you really know, and the transformation you make in your ideal client. There you have it. <laughs> David Maester, trusted advisor. Yeah. Cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, uh, maybe we'll add some pictures to the show notes this week. That would be a new thing. Oh, let's do that. That would be fun. And maybe we can find some links to um, some of his books. I mean, he, he just, one of them we've talked about on the show, we had um, Charles Green, who was his co-author on Trusted Advisor. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some, if you really want to explore more about how to build and run a firm, especially if you want a firm where you're hiring people, yep. um, his books are a really great resource. Cool. Well, uh, fascinating model i like it i definitely like it (laughs) all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye bye